All we need is a place to be And a few good friends for some company If you'd like to stay, you don't have to leave We'll leave the lights on and the door unlocked If you drop on by, you don't have to knock We're happy to share whatever we've got Hi, I'm Clay, and this is Yarn About You A podcast where I get to chat with people I know and love As well as people I'd just like to meet and hear their story Yarn About You would like to pay respect to the traditional owners of the land in which this podcast is recorded and acknowledge the Elders, past, present and emerging, for their contribution and wealth of knowledge that they pass on from generation to generation. Today's guest is Deb Mays. Deb is a devoted photographer and entertainment reporter who's followed the careers of national and international artists of the stage and screen for as long as she can remember. She's a passionate supporter of local up-and-coming artists and loves nothing more than to be in an audience with her camera. I'm very proud to call Deb my friend and I hope you enjoy our yarn. Deb Mays, welcome to Yarn About You. Hi, Clay. I'm so happy to see you. I'm always happy to see you <laughs> face-to-face. I think it's so much better than, um, than doing this over the phone, so I'm glad mm-hmm. we finally got to be in the same city. I want to start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? Uh, I was born here in Brisbane mm-hmm. um, and we lived here at a number of different addresses until um, 1966. Um, yeah, we moved to Mariborough and moved in with my father's parents and um, I started school in grade four there. Um, and So how far is Mariborough north of Brisbane? It's... 180 miles, and I don't know okay. what that is in Ks. And it's these days on the train, it takes about three to four hours. So um, not too bad. It used to take five hours on the on the bus, but and I did that bus a lot. Mm. <laughs> but uh, I yeah, I did high school in Mariborough um, and left there in '78 and moved back to Brisbane. And I've been here ever since. Okay. And your mother's still in Maryborough? My mother, my sister and my two brothers are all still there. My mum has is a, of a family of eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the others are down here in Brisbane. So she only can keep in touch with them via Facebook. Okay. Well, the world's so small now. It's a it's wonderful. Facebook, um, I know there's a lot of people that don't like it, but it got us to meet each other. Mm. It's um, It can be a wonderful thing. And um, I think the people who uh, don't see that side of it don't really understand the good in things like social media. Look, sometimes um, I love the fact that mum's on there. I just wish we had gotten her into computers sooner. She was a little bit resistant. Mm-hmm. Um, she was... We were trying to teach her how to use the, the computer mouse and she just could not get it. Uh, but now she ended up on an iPad and the touch screen, she's much better with that. So because her mobility is, you know, becoming an issue, she can't really get out much. Her only contact with the outside world now is through Facebook. Mm. And uh, sometimes I see her put things on Facebook and she'll go... I love Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. It's so nice. It's yeah. such a nice thing. Yeah. You are a very passionate person about the arts. Where did that come from? I think it's always been there. I went 
um, down a rabbit hole today actually trying to look up um, uh, when would it have been that I collected my first celebrity autograph. Uh, my mother ha- has an autograph book that she got the autographs of the Mickey Mouse Musketeers and the Cisco Kid. Uh, she said that she took me to the airport when they arrived in Australia and we got their autographs. And by my reckoning, I was three. Wow. Wow. So I've finally today found what I think is the date. So it was May the 6th. Um, so how did you find that? Every now and then I go looking on the internet hoping to find a date. And today I happened to stumble across somebody who's selling some memorabilia from one of the Mouseketeers mm-hmm. and it included some press clippings from Australia and um, the tour book. So the press clippings uh, were dated. Wow. wow. That so must be such a awesome feeling to find something like that after so long. I know. So what, who, was, who was your first – who did you first idolise? Who was the first person that you remember idolising? I can remember being at uh, Will and Gabba, living there, and it would have been around the time of the – 1964, when, when did the Beatles tour? Was it 64 or 65, one of that? And no, it was 64, I'm pretty sure. So I was kind of very much into Paul McCartney and also at the same time very much into Liberace. Chalk and cheese, I don't know how uh, I came to be at so far away from two different poles of music, but when we moved to Miraburra, I started begging my mum for piano lessons and I learned for, I don't know, five or six years, but once I realised that I was never going to be as good as Liberace, Mm. I thought, no, I gave that away. Um, But I remember when the Beatles came, I wanted to go to the airport to see them arrive. And the night before, I said to Dad, you know, can we go to the airport? And he said, yeah, 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 yeah. So the next morning I got up and said, come on, Dad, we've got to go to the airport, the Beatles. And he said, oh, no, I was only joking. Oh, no. And, like, that was the beginning of the end for the relationship between oh, me and my father. Imagine it is. And now that I've looked up um, on maps to see where we were living... And how close we actually were to where the Beatles were staying and playing, I could have walked. Oh, wow. Uh, You know, but I didn't know at the time that kind of information, but... uh. Now, you became quite well known in the media up here um, because of your fascination with Liberace. Mm. How how did that... what, What did you love about Liberace? Well, I don't know, you see, because it, if it started when I was like seven or something, um, I don't really quite know except I love his singing voice and his TV show would have been on in that era. Uh, so obviously I was being exposed to it somehow or other. And there's a song uh, called um, When Liberace Winks at Me and I've seen video of these old shows where he used to wink at people through the TV camera 
I think he must have winked at me. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's how it must have started. Wow. He was such a such a showman in every sense of the word. My, um, I was talking to Mum about him the other day because I said I was coming up to see you. And um, her and my sister went to America, um, left me at home when I was about 18 months old with Dad. And um, they went with some friends to America and they, um, they were standing on a corner in Vegas and this big... Um, car pulled up with piano keys up the side and Liberace got out and there's a photo of my sister when she was little with Liberace. They so, actually um, stopped him and got a photo. Yeah, well, he, he came over and got a photo with them. So so um, I'll have to send you the photo. I'll put it on the oh, Facebook page. Damn. But, um, but, but yeah, I want to know about your interaction with Liberace and how he, he came to Australia in what year? Well, okay, so the first time I saw him was in 1973 and... My my aunt and uncle, oh my gosh, they they must have put up with so much of me coming down to Brisbane to see concerts and having to pick me up, drop me off, and so uh, they picked me up and drove me to Festival Hall, and we were pulled up. I didn't know it at the time, but right outside the stage door, and I was still getting my bag organised. You know, I had cameras and even then I had a camera and batteries for the tape recorder and things and I was still getting myself organised when a car pulled up in, aside in front of theirs and it was him getting out and going into the stage door but I was still struggling under everything. I couldn't get out of the car. Um, but um, but that concert, I that was the, the second concert I ever saw at Festival Hall and my second concert ever. And actually some of the photos that I took turned out not too bad on just a little Kodak Instamatic. And so somehow or other I ended up down the front. I didn't have seats down the front. I think I was up in the bleachers somewhere, but I even then thought, I can't possibly sit here all night. And somehow or other I made my way down to the front of the stage and got some photos and came within about two inches of touching his hand when he was reaching out, you know, from the stage, touching people's hands, and I got so close. Ah, so what year was that? That was 73. 73, it was yeah. the first time. And when did you see him again after that? Um, so he came in 76, but he didn't come to Brisbane. I didn't get to see that one. He was coming in 78... And I had a front row seat, but then they cancelled that two weeks before the concert for reasons unknown. So at that point, I said, if he ever comes again, I'm going to every concert. And he didn't come again until 1984. No, 19... Yeah, 1984. And um, so I, I, I'm going to every concert. But little did I know that he was performing on the Hilton Hotel circuit and he was doing seasons like, you know, a week uh, at each venue, two shows a night in many cases. And it was going to work out to, um, well, originally 43 concerts in all. And I think they ended up... Um, cancelling one of the Melbourne ones. So it ended up being 42 concerts. But it started in Melbourne, uh, then they went to the Gold Coast, 
back to Sydney and then across to Adelaide where they finished the tour there. So um, was it one, two, three, four cities? And five week, it was a five-week tour. So I saw all of the concerts. So you, you, you did see everyone? Yes. How did you manage that? How, did you, how could you afford that, first of all, the travel and the tickets? Oh, and my gosh. Well, I was working, but I didn't really have much in the way of savings. So a flatmate loaned me some money to supplement. I basically spent, I think it was three months before the tour, three or six months, just eating steamed vegetables, Rovita biscuits and red cordial. <laughs> and then for another six months afterwards, doing the same to pay the friend back. And I think altogether it was about, oh, I don't know, $3,000-ish. Um, that's tickets and accommodation. The, the Hilton Hotel in Sydney... They, I want. I asked them. You know, was there an opportunity for me to get a, a discount on the tickets because I was seeing every show, and they said no. We can't give you a discount on the tickets, but we can give you a discount. We can let you stay here, um, and give you. I think it was a substantial discount on the thing, on the accommodation, and initially, I was a little bit bamboozled by it all, and I didn't fully take in what they were saying and I said oh no 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 and then when I went home and thought about it I thought no hang on a second that's actually a pretty good deal so I phoned them back and I said okay no I'll take you up on that so they organized that I could stay in the hotel and um and then just pay the normal price for the tickets to the shows oh fantastic and because of all of these shows that you went to see you caught the attention of somebody in particular <laughs> when did you get to meet him? I met him on the after the very first concert okay. uh, in Melbourne and apparently he was already aware that some uh, a friend of mine, I was working in a music shop in Brisbane at the time and one of my customers had said, you know, this is amazing that you're doing this. We should tell the newspapers. Mm. And I said, no, thanks. I said, because, like, my mum doesn't even know I'm doing this yet and I haven't told her how much it's costing or anything. And they still went ahead and told the newspapers. The next thing I had um, a reporter and I was being photographed and it was on the front page of newspapers pretty much around the country. Wow. And then I was getting phone calls from Bob Rogers in Sydney being interviewed on air and a female... Uh, announcer in Melbourne and I'm not sure if it was Geraldine Duke or somebody of that ilk um, and I did an interview on air with her also. Uh, so because of the newspaper thing, Liberace had been sent, the newspaper already knew about me, already wanted to meet me and then when I went to the first concert, sitting there at the table, they, most of the Hilton ones, the ticket included a three-course meal. Oh, that's right. Because I said to, that's why I said to the Hilton in Sydney, can I get a discount on the tickets if I don't have the three-course meal for the second show? <laughs> 
And they said, no, we can't do that. So I ended up, I was eating two three-course meals a night. <laughs> it makes up for not eating for six months beforehand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I wasn't eating really anything during the day except for these two three-course meals at night and my clothes were falling off me by the end of that tour. I lost so much weight. And anyhow, so there I was at this table front down the front and there was like a table of eight or ten and so people introducing each other and they thought it was odd that I was there by myself, you know, how come you're here by yourself? Well, I've come down from Brisbane. And you're the one from the newspaper. Oh, can we get you to sign our programs? Oh, and, wow. And things like that. And then one of them said, oh, you see that table over there? Um, there's a fellow over there who's a newspaper journalist. We have to tell him that you're here. So then he came over and spoke to me and then he said, have you spoken to any of Liberace's people? I said, no. He said, don't you worry. And after the show then, he took me to the function room where I was then introduced to Liberace and got photos taken and got autographs and things like that. And so that was my first... I got to meet him at least once in every location and... um, yeah, and then I, I got to see him off at the airport in Adelaide when they were leaving for the final thing. Wow. He had a plane with piano keys on the side of it too, didn't he? He may have he may have done. I know he had the, the uh, piano-shaped swimming pool. <laughs> that's right. He was kind of obsessed. But, um, but no, that, that's an amazing story. Um, so uh, he, he, would have, he would have known your name. He would have known you. He would have, that must have been a wonderful feeling for you. It was interesting, actually, because the concerts, um, because I think he he might have even said to me at that first show, um, he said, even though you'll be seeing the same jokes every night, you have to pretend you're seeing it for the first time, you know, and those jokes need to be funny, you know, for you each time. And that that wasn't a problem for me, but... Mm. There was nights where he had props, you know, like he had a a mink coat with a dangly thing with a mink fur ball that he would dangle down into, you know, people in the audience. There was two balls, you know, and then he wanted people to reach up and and clasp them and, you know, fondle them. Mm. And then he would make a joke, you know, about, you know, all two at once, you know. Um, And some nights... He was just having trouble getting people to take the bait. And so he would then drop the balls down in front of me. And, of course, I knew it wasn't anything prearranged, but I just knew he needed to get that gag so he could get on with the show. So I would do what needed to be done. Wow, you were part of the show. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah, it wasn't even even organised or anything like that. But... um, yeah, there was, there was, you know, like definitely Melbourne. There was a couple of times at the Gold Coast where he just needed someone to, to do the right bit so that he could get keep going with the show. And you, you could see him coming towards me and he'd go, okay, yeah, I know what you're doing. Oh, fantastic. And um, and so I've seen the photo of you with Liberace, one mm. of them. Mm. Um, you, you obviously got photos at different venues and different 
things with him? Well, the weird thing was that even though I had my camera with me that had a telephoto lens on it and things, I don't think I had a, just a point-and-shoot one and I never did get photos of him taken on any of my cameras. So there was one photograph that was taken by a national magazine. I can't think of the name of it. but um, So I, I have sort of like a, an OK quality copy of that. And then I got a photo taken with him by his manager in Sydney uh, and he gave me a copy of that. And then there was another photograph taken after the last concert in Adelaide that was taken on his manager's camera and then another one taken at the airport the next day that had the whole entourage, had, you know, the band, it had... Liberace and his partner had me. It had Shaney Wallace, who was Nancy and Oliver, the movie. Oh, okay. She was one of the support acts in oh. the show. Um, and she was in this photograph. And his manager said, yes, I'll send these to you when we get back to the States. And he never did. I never got them, the one from the night before or the one at the airport. Oh, no. And, you know, I messaged him, you know, wrote to him and... Um, and would ask and, you know, never got a, a response back from them ever. Do, so. they, do they still have the Liberace Museum in Vegas? I'm not 100% sure. It did close down for a, a bit and I heard that they were talking about trying to get it back and going or, or operating as a an on-tour thing, but it did, I think, close for a little while and his manager has since passed away and I was kind of hoping that some of his um, memorabilia would have gone to that the museum and it would be pretty easy to spot me especially in the photos at the airport because I had a special t-shirt that I was wearing it had Adelaide it was like one of those baseball kind of t-shirt and I had Adelaide 84 on the front, so it would be pretty easy to go, oh, there's the person that wants that photo because it's got the Adelaide 84 shirt. But I have not so far been able to find anybody that knows what happened to those rolls of film. Well, if anybody can track anything down, it can be you. I'm I pretty good at it. tracking things down. I've, um, I've got you to help me find some photos for the Logies one year. That's right. When, um, when uh, a friend of ours passed away. Um, yeah, you were able to find the photos and, and you ended up finding photos for somebody else for them as well. Yeah, well, it was uh, Adrian Wright mm -hmm. and then it was the lady from Prisoner. Name escapes me at the moment. But, um, yeah, I just happened to have some old um, showcast books um, in my collection and they had good um, headshots in them that were suitable for what you wanted, so... You have so many amazing photos from from shows around the around the place. Um, what's your favourite play? Your favourite show? I think I know what the answer is to this as well. Like the best concert I ever saw, mm -hmm. apart from Liberace. <laughs> um, really, I do often say that one of the the best concerts I've ever saw was Bette Midler. 
at Festival Hall here in Brisbane in 1978. I've seen some of your photos there too. Got some amazing shots of, of Bet. I haven't even scanned the negatives for those yet. Um, but I had a front row seat, $12 for a front row seat to see Bette Midler. Wow. Oh, my God. It Honestly, she did so much research into where she was going to be in that mindset that night. You know, she had researched our local politicians, our local suburbs, um, which ones were the trendy ones, which ones were the lower class ones. Um, And so if there were hecklers in the audience, depending on what they said, she would say, oh, we've got the Kenmore crowd in tonight, you know, because they're the upper class ones oh. or if they were being, you know, a bit, um, you know, bawdy or whatever, she would say, um, mention, oh, what was the like Anala or something like that, you know, one of the dodgier suburbs. And um, and she was talking about, you know, Joe Bielke-Peterson, Russ Hins and... So she's put a lot of work into her, Oh, her, gosh, eh? yeah, yeah. And apparently, I, I had forgotten this, but someone reminded me that um, there was a blackout, a power blackout in the middle of the concert. And so she just uh, sat on the edge of the stage for a little while talking to us all in the dark. And so at this stage she was doing concerts in Sydney. They just kept getting her to come back and back and back. She did something like 16 concerts in Sydney and we got one. And somebody in the audience said, how come only one concert? And she said, well, that's all they asked me to do. Um, But the other striking thing about that concert was it was in the era of Bjelke Peterson and he was very afraid of what she might say about him. He didn't want her saying anything derogatory about him. And from where I sat in the audience, I could see that there were policemen standing in the wings on each side of the stage waiting to come out and arrest her if she said anything that was, you know, not appropriate. Wow. Yeah. And so at one point in the show, she said... She said, oh, Miss Mildew, Miss Mildew, you must remember where you are, not where you have been. This is Queensland. There will be no race jokes, no sex jokes, no Hitler jokes, no jokes about the Queen and her clothes or you and your clothes. I have no act. <laughs> because people don't, people don't realise that um, back in the day, uh, Bette Midler was actually quite bawdy and quite... Mm. quite um, she was on the edge. Mm. She pushed oh. everything as much as she possibly could. Yes. Where now she's quite quite relaxed and, and mellow in comparison. I still don't think you'd want to cross her. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but, I mean, we did... Um, so I didn't, didn't get to meet her that tour. Mm-hmm. But I met her when she came out here to promote... Divine Madness, the movie, mm-hmm. and my flatmate, no, two flatmates, and I, we decided we were going to, she wasn't coming to Brisbane, she was only doing Sydney, we went to Sydney, we booked into the Siebel Townhouse, where of course all the rock stars stay, mm-hmm. and we just went up and down the lift, looking, 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 uh, we went, 
we went all around the hotel. We went right up to the top floor and we were listening on all the doors. This is really creepy. <laughs> this is really creepy stuff. It is creepy stuff. But we were listening on all, all the doors to see if we could hear any American accents. <laughs> and we heard, we, we figured that we found Elton John's room because he was staying there also. We thought, oh, yes, we found Elton John's room. Uh, anyway, so then we were down in the foyer and she happened to come back. Um, she'd been out for a walk and so she got into the lift so it might okay we jumped into the lift and it was just her and us in the lift and so we said oh you know um we've just come down from Brisbane you know to, we wanted to meet you and she said oh are you coming to see the movie and we said oh well n- no you the radio station you have to win tickets to come and see the movie, but we haven't been able to win any tickets. She said, don't worry, I'll look after that for you. Wow. And so um, then she she got out. The, the lift stopped on our floor and she got out and we thought, oh, she's disoriented and she's got out on the wrong floor. But she kept walking and she goes around to this door and starts putting the key in and it, it was her her door <laughs> and so she goes inside and um my flatmate I just heard this thud behind me and she's like laying on her back in the hallway with her legs kicking like a dead cockroach going <laughs> I can't believe she's on the same floor as us I can't believe she's on the <laughs> anyway um oh we had also said to her in the lift oh you know we've we've <laughs> We've come all the way from Brisbane. We've brought our scrapbooks. Would you like to come to our room and have a look? <laughs> she said, oh, no, I don't go with strangers. Because uh. <laughs> uh, this was not long after John Lennon had been shot. Oh, right. So everybody was a little bit, you know, on the yeah. cautious side. But anyway, um, so we ended up at the cinema where the pre- premiere was going to be and the, our, our tickets were there. And then we waited. She she was arriving and she looked over and she saw us and she said, oh, did you get your tickets? And we said, yes, thanks. And so, yeah, wow. okay. So then she went in and she stayed on the stage. She um, introduced the film and then we heard that she was going off to see Elton John in concert after that. We stayed to watch the movie. And so then we thought we'd like to wait for her to come back from the concert to thank her. So we were waiting outside the Seabull and this car pulls up and Elton John gets out <laughs> and he starts walking. He sees, you know, three people waiting and he sees, starts to saunter over thinking that we'll be wanting autographs. And I went up to him and I said, um, excuse me, I said, um, where's Bet? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, oh, um, um, oh, she'll be along shortly. And I said, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> and we just let him go. <laughs> We didn't get any autographs or anything. And then we waited a little bit longer and then she came along and, and we were able to thank her for getting us into the film and, and things like that. But Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> God, you, you, you dissed Elton. I know. It's <laughs> <That's> terrible. <laughs> I know. I want to ask you, uh, for people who don't know, who is Carol Lloyd? Okay, so Carol Lloyd is a... She's a rock and roll singer from Queensland. She technically holds the honour of being Australia's first rock chick way before Chrissy Amphlett 
when did you first discover Carol Lloyd? So I was working in my first job out of school was working in the local music store and we sold everything um, from musical instruments to sheet music, records, TVs, everything. And so I was able to listen to the records and things like that. And I was listening to the radio, of course, and hearing Carol's band Railroad Gin. They had a song released called A Matter of Time, which was did really well in the Queensland charts, but a lot of the radio stations down south didn't want to hear about a Queensland band. But anyway, the um, uh, when the album came out, of course, you know, I was playing that in store and selling as many copies as I could and and then um, the band came, did a Queensland tour to promote the album and so I went to the concert and afterwards, I think I, I, think I went to the concert with one of the local radio announcers and... After the concert, he said, do you want to go upstairs and meet the band? You know, So I said, oh, okay. Because Carol had this really intimidating persona on stage and she, you would think that if you looked at her sideways, she would knock you out cold. And when we got upstairs... I've, her skin was so crystal clear, you know, like all of that sweating on stage, you know, all her pores had cleaned out. She was beautiful. Like everybody on on stage, she had sort of like a – some people would say like a, a witch-like appearance in some ways. She had bright red hair, yeah, bright red long, fizzy hair, long. bright red hair, yeah, and a, and a witchy poo nose kind of with a big kind of bump in it. And but you know when you actually saw her afterwards, oh she was beautiful, and and really nice. And so then, I had because I was working in this music store, we got release information from the record companies, and so I had information there about all their tour dates. Oh, they're playing. I think it was Rockhampton uh, in a few days' time. That's enough time for me to get a letter up to Rockhampton to ask uh, for a signed photo of the band. Uh, which I sent and signed, your fan forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they sent, Carol sent back um, a signed photograph. And then I saw them again a second time at that same venue. And my father took me that time. Um, and he wasn't really interested, but my father would take me anywhere as long as I paid his way in. So I had, you know, because I was underage to get into a a licensed premises, I had to have an adult with me. So I paid his way in and and we we got to see the band again. But I was too scared to take photos. I kick myself now. I two concerts of Railroad Gin and I have no photos to show for it. I have audio recordings. I, I tape recorded it. But I have no photos. But um, probably later that year, that was 1975, and then later that year she, I think she left the band, formed her own band, the Carol Lloyd Band, mm-hmm. and then I started going to see them a lot. And 
for a, she was working in the advertising industry as a jingle writer as well. Okay. And uh, she left Brisbane and went to Melbourne to work down there for quite a while. And I made a few trips to Melbourne and would um, arrange to catch up with her. And um, one time I was down there. She took me to a recording studio. They were recording a, a jingle for a product called Milk Whiz or something like that. And she arranged to meet me at a particular location and I was telling her I had been out the night before. I went to see Paul Kelly up at um, Carlton, I think it was. And she said, whereabouts in Carlton? And I was told of the street and I think it was Ligon Street. Um, and... I had the worst time finding the venue because the street numbers didn't go in a, a logical order to me. I, I was looking for a particular street number for this mm. hotel where Paul Kelly was and I was walking up and down and up and down this dark street, you know, at 9 o'clock at night trying to find this venue. She said, oh, my God, I can't believe that you were there all by yourself walking up and down that street. It's such a dangerous street. <laughs> No. Um, but in any case, you know, she took me to the recording studio and we watched, um, you know, doing some work on these jingles and then we went and had lunch and, and stuff. So, and then finally she came back to Brisbane and it took a little while for her to start getting back into the singing again. But possibly some of it at my insistence, I don't know. But. Anyway, I think she was really glad that she did because it really, in the long run, I think it helped prolong her life because um, she ended up um, developing a, a lung condition which she believes is partly due to the silicon-based stage smoke that they used to use in the special effects when they were on stage and also partly due to the fact that she was... a smoker for a while and uh but the treatment for her illness involved swimming but because she was also singing it's really good for your lungs you know to keep keep your lungs open mm. and we really think that that did help give her those extra couple of years on top of the original diagnosis from the doctors they said to her we're talking months, not years. That was that was the original diagnosis. You've got this terminal condition. We're talking months, not years, that you have to live. Well, I think she got five years or something like that. Because she was pretty well loved. I remember watching the um, the news report when she passed away and the reporter crying, a man was mm. crying, mm. Um, because I know she was a, a legend here in Brisbane. Mm. So I'm very, very well loved. Well, the interesting thing is that the first time that I was ever in the same room as her was at that first concert, the 20th of February, 1975. And the last time I was ever in the same room as her was her funeral, the 20th of February, 2017. Wow. Wow. That's... um. It's haunting. Mm. <laughs> it really but is. It bookend. Where were you when you heard that she'd passed away? Oh, I was at work. Um, and I got a message, a 
text message from her manager to let me know. And, of course, I've been running a Facebook fan page for for her fans of her Rail Regin and Carol Lloyd band for several years. And so he asked, would I announce it through there? So I got up from my desk. I said to my co-worker, I said, I've just heard the news. I said, I'm going to go to the bathroom and have a little cry and then I'm going to have to come back and get on the internet and announce this for the fans. So I didn't really have a big cry. I don't think I have actually had a big cry yet. Mm. It's, um, it's, it's an amazing page, by the way. Mm. Um, but what's, what's the name of it if people want to look it up? It's Carol Lloyd and Railroad Gin Fans United. And uh, so I'm... I'm still going through putting up photographs that I have in my own collection, um, photographs that people are handing across to me. I seem to be a magnet for people getting in touch and saying, I have some things that you might like. A lady contacted me several years ago and said her husband had passed away but he was a sound engineer around the time when Rail Gin were first starting, when Carol was first getting into the band and he had these reel-to-reel tapes and she said, I don't have any use for them but maybe you could. And so I had to send them off to Melbourne and get them baked and transferred to digital, but I have these recordings. They would be from, I'm guessing, 1971, 72 um, of the band before they really became more well-known through radio exposure and things like that. They were very well-known around the university circuit and a lot of people have said that they've seen them play at their school and things like that. I just put a photo up on the page today, a, a photo that was only just... I've only just worked out this week that it was taken at a school in Toowoomba. And so I've put that up on the page today and I've had, like, over a 1,000 people who've looked at it and, um, you know, because it's, it's one that no-one has seen before because I only cleaned that photo up this week. Um, I don't like to put things up that have got scratches and dust flecks and things in them, so I... I clean them all up and recolor them. You know, if they, you know, how a lot of those old photos have got that orangey glow to them, and I, I get rid of that if I can, if I can manage it, so that they look closer to what they should have been like. And uh, I think I've done a pretty good job with this one. Uh, you certainly have. I'm, I'm looking at all of the uh, the concerts that you've been to because you've got them listed here in a document. It's just amazing. You have to, and you've taken photos at most of these concerts, haven't you? Uh, quite a lot of them, um, and most of those on that list are mostly just the international ones, but um, back in the day, most of the time they didn't care if you came in with a camera. And so I would have a camera with a telephoto lens. I'd have that in a bag over my shoulder. I had a special bag that I had made to carry a reasonably bulky tape recorder and 
I'd be, you know, walking through these venues with all of that. The first time that they stopped us taking cameras in at Festival Hall was for 10cc and uh, they insisted on you leaving the all of that gear in their office with them and collect it after the show and that was one of the most unenjoyable concerts <laughs> that I ever saw <laughs> <laughs> because I was sulking the whole night. <laughs> but, and then I, basically there was... Um, There was still a lot of pub gigs. You could go to pub gigs and they would let you take cameras. Most times now, even pub gigs, they don't care. Uh, And then my taste in music then also started to sway a little bit into cabaret and musicals. And, of course, you really can't take cameras into those much either. Mm. And so I don't have a lot to show for a lot of those kind of ones, but... At the moment in Brisbane, we have a very healthy cabaret and local theatre um, community and I've been reasonably well welcomed into that and I'm getting opportunities to take photos at shows. You know, some of them will I go to and they say, have you got your camera? And they go, yeah, oh, good, good. <laughs> and because... I take the photos, I put them up on social media and I use those photos then to promote future appearances by those people in the picture. Um, so I can either use it to, if the show is going to have a, a season of dates, I can use it to encourage other people to go and see it while it's still playing mm-hmm. or I'll use those photos to promote other appearances by those performers in the future, so I've actually recently, uh, a couple of months ago, I've just started up a new Facebook page and it's called Entertainers on Australian Stages mm-hmm. and it's only going to have photographs on it that I have taken and, again, it's going to be cheese and chalk because it's going from um, theatre to rock to cabaret, to anything, as long as it's a photo that I took and I want to share it because either we're coming up to a relevant anniversary of when it was taken or that person is going to be doing a show or something. something's happening to do with that person mm. that I can use that photo to draw people's attention to them. And uh, so, you know, it gives me an opportunity to share photos with people who aren't friends with me on Facebook because I've been gathering a quite a nice selection of Facebook friends because people want to look at my photos. Mm. And I have such a, a good collection. A lot of the early shows that I used to go to around Brisbane pub gigs and things like that, most of the people in those bands now, they're getting to an age where they thought they'd seen all the photos they were ever going to see of themselves back when they were doing all that stuff. But I've got some. And um, so, you know, they're saying, look, we, we need to see your photos. We need to see all your photos now. And I think, oh, gosh, you know, if only I had the time, I just need to win the lotto so I can just stay home and, and just concentrate on that. But, you know, I'm doing what once I can and, and it's 
you know, making people remember a lot of things. I do believe there's a couple of bands who have been inspired to have reunion gigs because they've seen photographs that I've put up on social media and they go, hey, you know, we should get the band back together. And uh, so I I know of of a couple that have done that just because they've seen a photograph that I've shared. That's pretty amazing. I mean, I've looked at your photos over the years and I think we worked out before that we first got in contact in 2008 Mm -hmm. um, when through Facebook. Mm-hmm. And um, and so f- since 2008, I've been looking at your photos and um, I've been telling you all the time, one, you have to write a book. But um, but the more that I see, the more that uh, that I see of these amazing photos of these superstars um, and and normal local, um, mm. look, local performers, um, you have to have a gallery one day. You have to have some sort of art show, some sort of... Um, that the would photos be lovely. Would be, it would be amazing. It would be lovely. You've got photos of... of Tell me some of the some of the names you've got of the big artists. Oh, well, you know some of the big ones. You know would would be the ones that would have done the festival hall gigs. Now the funny thing about festival hall was I did pay to see a lot of concerts there, but when there was a concert on, the ushers would start to open the doors when the band was nearing the end of the show they would, you know, leave the stage and be called back on for an encore and then they'd do their three best songs for the audience. Well, at that point, the ushers would be starting to open the doors so that anyone who wanted to leave without seeing the encore could just go. But they didn't care if anyone went in. And so if I didn't have a ticket, I knew that I could just be standing out there with my camera and when the doors opened, I knew the way to down to the front of the stage. Wow. And get right down, right down the front for the three best songs. Um, and I saw the village people that way. I didn't pay to see the village people, but I got some a couple of okay photos of the village people. Um, that's, that's genius. That's amazing. <laughs> and um, other, like, I saw everybody there, you know, B-52s, Billy Joel, Elton John, Gary Newman, um, Supertramp, Electric Light Orchestra. I hate it. Well, I don't hate Electric Light Orchestra, but um, it was because of them that ticket prices at concerts started to rise. Oh, really? Because Why? they Why were that? the first band to tour with a laser light show. And they thought that deserved a couple of extra dollars on the top of the ticket price. Okay. And then when people realised we would pay an extra couple of dollars, then the prices started to go up a bit more. Um, But um, Supertramp I loved. Um, They were fantastic. Um, Of course, Bette Midler. um, I saw Vera Lynn there twice. Oh, wow. Um, I paid to see Cliff Richard... I saw him twice, like, well, no, I think I saw him once, but I I paid to see him twice, but I really only paid to see him the second time because I wanted to see see the support act who was the Globos with Mark Trevorrow. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, was in, I was in Adelaide Airport one, one day sitting in the Qantas Lounge mm-hmm. and Cliff Richard came and sat next to me. And I was reading a book and I read the same page about ten times. <laughs> and then um, I, I went over and said to him, um, Mr Richard, I just wanted to 
um, say it's wonderful to meet you. And he said, oh, thank you. And I said, look, I'm so, I hate asking, but would you mind if I got a photo with you? And um, he said, no, no, look, it's a bit hard if I stand up. You know, people can, you know, it might cause a scene. I said, okay, sorry, don't worry. And he goes, no, no, you come down here. <laughs> so I've got a photo with him and he was lovely. Yeah, he, was, yeah. he was really lovely. So that's yeah. my Cliff Richard story anyway. Yeah, yeah, well, I, you know, I, I did kind of enjoy him the first time, but I, I just didn't feel like I needed to see him the second time. I just wanted to see the Globos. I was, I was nuts about the Globos. <laughs> so when I was leaving, I stopped at one of the rows further back and I said to somebody down there, there's an empty seat down in the front row. I'm leaving. You can have it if you want. So, they, oh, yeah, okay. So someone else got my front row seat. But, um, oh, wow. Yeah, I saw Alice Cooper. Um, that, that was a really good concert. And, um, yeah, so I've, I've seen tons. Alice is a real pro. He's such a showman. Um, but another one who's, who's – it's all, it's all an act. He's a lovely, lovely person. Have you met him? No, I haven't met him, but I've oh. seen so many interviews with him and I've seen so many um, charitable things that he's done. Mm. And, um, yeah, he's just a really down-to-earth, really nice person. I did meet him. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, it was one of the other times when he came out with um, that the Ultimate Rock Symphony. Oh, okay. And they had, like, oh, well, Peter Frampton. Um, wow. I can't think who else was on the bill, but... Um, Alice Cooper was involved, maybe Roger Daltrey, I'm not 100% sure. But I remember I was at work and I said to the guys at work, I'm going to go and try and meet Alice Cooper after work. Now, this is still, I think, before the internet, so I have no idea how I found out where they were staying. (laughs) But I had a clue and I had printed up I ha- do these special autograph sheets where I have all of somebody's songs as a background on the sheet and then they sign over the top in a Nico pen and looks really good. And also in the top left-hand corner there's like a little badge thing there that says their name and the date and the location of where the photo, the autograph was collected so that no matter how messy their handwriting is, I will always know whose autograph that is. Wow. So I had all that, all that prepared and I went down to this hotel in the city and I was waiting. I didn't even know if I would have missed him yet, but I just waited. And there was a van, uh, like a minivan thing parked out the front and the back was open, the sliding door on the back was open and there was really no seats in the back. It was just an open tray thing. And I happened to notice that there was somebody sitting on the floor of this minivan thing. And I sort of glanced away and then I looked back and I thought, oh, my God, that's Peter Frampton. Wow. And um, so... so no, no limos for him. No, no, he was just sitting in there waiting for Alice Cooper to come out. <laughs> and so I had a spare blank sheet with me. So... I went over and I said, oh, you know, would you mind if I get your autograph? He goes, oh, it's fine, I got his autograph. And then um, shortly after that, Alice Cooper came out and he had his manager with him. And so I cautiously went up and I sort of said, oh, you know, excuse me, but would I be able to get an autograph? And Alice kind of looks at me and then he looks at his manager and he looks back at me and looks at his manager and he 
En je stories manager. En uh, at that stage I was thinking, What, what's going on? En so I said, It's okay, I just want to get an autograph. I've got a sheet here I'd like to get signed. And he's looking at his manager and, and then his manager goes, Oh, all right. And so then Alice was allowed to come over and sign an autograph. Oh, really? Yeah. That was bizarre. It was. What was the story was behind that? I have no idea, but it, it was just me. I was there by myself. There's no other crowds around or anything, just one person. And all this rigmarole to get an autograph. Have you, um, who have you tried to get an autograph from that you found really grumpy? Yeah, David Cassidy. Oh, really? Yeah, I was really disappointed because... Um, He was the last one on my bucket list, really, that I had to meet before I died, you know, the big bucket list. And so I had seen him in concert in 1974. So those early years I remember by the concert. So 74 was David Cassidy, 75 was the Osmonds and 76 was David Essex. Um, But... I didn't get to meet him in 1974. I got very close. Um, my, I went to the concert with my two cousins and we had seats way up in the bleachers and I no sooner put my bottom on the seats, no, I can't possibly sit here. And, you know, my cousins had been threatened with death if I left their seats by my aunt. But I said, I can't. I can't watch this concert from here. And so I, I'm going down the front. Somehow or other... I ended up around the back of the venue underneath the rear bleachers because it was at the Milton Tennis Court. Um, so if you imagine a tennis, he was his stage was, you know, at one end of the tennis court, so there was other seating all around. Mm-hmm. I ended up underneath the back bleachers probably about, well, how far is it to that wall away? I don't know, about five metres, four, four yeah. metres? probably about that far away from this tent that they had set up as a dressing room for David Cassidy and one policeman standing guard. Mm -hmm. And I could see David pacing backwards and forwards inside the tent. And then um, when it was time for him to go on stage, he had some other minders who got on either side of him and then, you know, um, ushered him through the little gap up to where the stage was. But because I was just standing quietly... And not screaming and not trying to look like I was going to make a run for it or anything. They didn't, uh, you know, shush me away, Mm -hmm. which is really weird. And I did get a photo of him as they, you know, ushered him through. Um, But I didn't get to meet him at that concert. So when he came back, I think it was uh, in the 2000s he came back and, um, and I thought, well, okay, I went to see him in, in Brisbane and I thought, I'm never going to meet him here because the entertainment centre is so unfriendly towards people meeting their idols there. You can't meet anyone at the entertainment centre. And I thought, I'll go to see him in Sydney, but again, it was the entertainment centre. I'm not going to get to meet him there. So I thought, I'm going to Newcastle. And so... I waited outside the gate behind the entertainment centre there for four hours waiting for his car to come through. There was a security guy 
keeping an eye on me, but, you know, I was just by myself, just waiting. And so when David arrived, they opened the gate and let him go through, and then he was going to just go straight into the venue, and the security guy went over to him and said, um, you know, there's a girl over there that's clearly waiting to meet you. <coughs> and David wasn't going to, and, and the guy had said to him, you know, come on, mate, you know, she's been waiting for four hours. You could at least give her an autograph. Mm. And so he begrudgingly agreed to come through and uh, to this little sentry box thing and, and sign an autograph for me. But I was kind of disappointed that it wasn't a nicer experience. Mm. <clears throat> Who, did you find anybody that was really grumpy and didn't want to sign autographs? Most people are okay? Most people are really good. Um, that idea with the um, doing songs or, or shows that people have been in as the background to an autograph sheet, I did one for Bud Tingle uh, when he was in a play and he was quite taken with it. You know, he wanted to know how did I find about all of those shows for a start that he had been in? And I said, well, I've spent, you know, a few days this week at the library and I have other books at home where I uh, can look up to see what shows you've been in. And, and then I explained how I do it all on the computer and he was so taken with it, you know, and a lot of them are actually really flattered. Um, Heather Mitchell, I did one, I got her, you know... Oh, I met Ashka. Yeah, she played my mummy. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, she played my mum in the second series of Clowning Around. Oh, wow. Uh, I'd yeah. totally forgotten that. Yeah, she did. Um, and I, got, I did one of these up for her when she was in Strictly Ballroom. And I presented it to Oh, she said, I'm not worthy. Mm. I said, no, no, this is too much. You know, I, I can't. I said, oh, please, you know, like I really... So she, she did sign it, but, you know, she was, it, she was just totally... Not expecting that at all. Oh, she's beautiful. She's one mm. of the most lovely ladies I've ever worked with. Mm. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Mm. So, Deb, I know you've got uh, a great relationship with lots of Australian artists, but uh, in particular Judy Kennelly mm -hmm. and Geraldine Turner. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about them? Yeah, so that was around about when I, as I said, I started to stray into the cabaret and musicals side of things. I think Judy Kennelly had been in The Young Doctors mm -hmm. um, and that w I would have seen her sing on there. That drew me to her voice. And I was working in Parling's music store in Brisbane one day when she happened to come in with her mother into the store. And it was around about the time that, Bette Midler's movie The Rose was quite popular and I didn't have anything for Judy to sign except a flyer for The Rose and I asked her to sign, you know, across The Rose and she said, oh, Deb, I, you know, I, I couldn't because, you know, it's, Bette Midler is so much, you know, so much more talented and I said, no, 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 you're equally as talented. Um, so, but she did sign it and um, I think it was... Not long after that, that I got, I found her first album in a bargain bin of a record store for a dollar and I, I loved that. I really, really loved her. But it didn't show how good she could really belt a number out. 
the first time I saw her really belt a number out was at a special variety concert that was held in a Queensland conservatorium. It was a, um, a variety show. John Michaelhausen was on there, Simon Gallagher, a few, bunch of other ones. I had a seat right up in the back. I don't know, I must have been one of the last people to buy a ticket. I, I must have only found out at the last minute or something because I never sit up the back if I can help it. But I was quite a way up the back and I've never done this before. But when she came on stage and she, her first song was The Big Parade... And I stood up in my seat with my jaw on the floor for the... Like, she sang three or four songs and I stayed that way for the whole thing. I was just couldn't believe how incredible she was. Uh, and then I... The first chance I got to see her, I think, after that... She was in the best little whorehouse in Texas. I went to Sydney to see her in that. Um, it went to Melbourne. I went to Melbourne. Um, I saw it a couple of times and a half um, because I realised that at theatre venues, they don't check your ticket when you're going back in at interval, after interval. Uh, yeah, they don't either. <laughs> Actually, that's... And so you are a genius. <laughs> And so I just waltzed on in with everybody else at interval and just found myself an empty seat and saw the second half for free. Um, I've done that a couple of other times for other things as well. That's brilliant. Um, <laughs> but then also around about that same time, uh, Geraldine Turner was in The Restless Years and I was buying all the... Um, theatre magazines and things and I was, you know, seeing articles about her and, you know, what a great singer she was and then she was brought to Brisbane to do a three-night season at the SGIO Theatre. So a um, friend and I, we booked to see all three nights. We had front row seats, front row centre and we get to this venue and... Um, we are the only ones in the front. There's just us and there's nobody for the rest of the theatre until you get to the two back rows and that was packed. And wow. so that was all of Geraldine's family and friends up the back and pretty much we were the only two probably for the rest of the theatre. There might have been a couple of scattlings but... Um, Geraldine during the concert commented about how difficult it was to do a show where you're having to play to a couple of people at the front and then sing out to the people at the back. Um, and it was such a good concert because there were songs there that I had never heard before. Um, just opened my mind to a whole different, you know, like um, the shape of things and Nightingale sang in Barclay Square. I already mm. knew that from Vera Lynn, but the way Geraldine did it was 
quite different. Um, and um, a lot of Sondheim songs, things like that. Anyway, um, each of those nights she had something happen that made it a different night. So I think the first night she forgot the words to the song halfway through the song and she just go, you know, oh, I've tried. I'll, I'll have to, you know, pick it up from a certain point and we'll have another go. So she did that. That was fine. Um, the second night... I think it was, she just had trouble finding the gap in the curtains to leave the stage. She <laughs> couldn't find the stage. And then the third night, um, she was standing on the stage, standing on there for a long time at the end. Of the she said, you're not going to believe this, but I've caught the heel of my shoe in a crack in the stage and I'm stuck. Oh, no. I can't, I can't move. Um, but she, uh, she sorted it out. But after the, the first night, um, we were in the foyer after the show and she came over to us and she said, she said excuse me, but she said, do I know you? And we said, no. And she said... Oh, she said it's, it's just that usually it, it's only my family and friends to come to see my shows. She said, I've never actually had fans before. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, I count myself as one of her first official fans. Wow. Um, so it wasn't too long. That was 1980. Um, it wasn't too long after that then that um, her, Geraldine and Judy Kennelly and Nancy Hayes were in the Sydney Theatre Company production of Chicago, mm-hmm. which opened at the Opera House. Now, this friend of mine and I, we decided that this was going to be right up our alley. So we booked to see every performance of it for the first two weeks of the season at the Opera House. Because we were so sure we were going to love it. And we did. Um Lucky you did. <laughs> Otherwise, well, you had to sit through yeah. all the performances. Well, I ended up. Um, we would we would um, I would go down to Sydney on a weekend sometimes, leave work on the Friday, get down there in time to see the Friday night show, the Saturday matinee, the Saturday night, and at one stage it was so popular they were even doing Sunday matinees. Mm-hmm. So you could go down there and see it four times in a weekend, and then get back to work in you know. In, on you know for work on Monday, um, so in the end I saw it twenty five times, which you know isn't huge in the grander scheme of things, but it happens to be the same amount of times that Jason Donovan saw the show. Oh really? Yeah, I I was at a record company function one time when he was releasing his album, and we got talking about because his father was in it, Terry Donovan was in it. And I told him I saw it 25 times. He said, oh, yes, so did I. And I said, yes, but I paid for my tickets. <laughs> um, but the speaking about seeing shows multiple times, the same year that I saw Liberace, um, I had an opportunity to see Judy Kennelly multiple times. Now, I had said that if I ever had the chance to see her sing every night, I would be there. So 
she, the Queensland Theatre Company brought her in for a production of Side by Side by Sondheim. And so I worked out how much it was going to cost. And, you know, I knew I was going to be broke again for a while. But um, I went into the box office and I said I would like to buy a ticket for every performance. And the ladies um, said, look, I think we should get you to talk to the group bookings manager. So they took me around to his office and introduced me to Lewis Savage, who a lot of people in Brisbane know him. And... I told him what I wanted to do and he said, do you have any idea how much that's going to cost? And I said, yes. I, I think I'd worked it out that it was going to be $700-something and I had the money there in cash. And he said, I can't possibly let you pay that much. So we he worked out a thing where the weeknights I would pay, I think it was... I don't know, $8, $6, $8 a show. And on the weekends, it was, you know, a couple of dollars extra than that, um, but still significantly discounted to what everyone else was paying. But the show ran for 64 performances, and I saw 63 of them. And I only missed one because my boss took that first time to convince my boss to let me have change my lunch hour so that I could race up to the theatre and see most of the Wednesday matinee and then come back to work. Um, <laughs> the other times then, you know, I was able to have my lunch so that I could race up and see most of the show during my lunch break and then come back to work. So I still, even though I didn't see the full show, I still counted it as a count. Wow, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Deb Mays, you are a freak of nature when it comes to Australian entertainment. I'm so proud to have you as a friend and um, I look forward to reading the book when the bloody book gets put together. Oh. And I look forward to seeing any uh, shows that you have in the future and I'm sure you will. I've, I've got to see a gallery of all of your your. That would artwork. be lovely. It would be lovely. I would love to do that. We should try and make it happen. Let's see what we can do. Well, I'm working on it in as much as... Um, I'm currently scanning all my photographic negatives and trying to clean them all up. I've still got thousands to go, but I can't have a selection to show unless I've got the pictures ready to hand over. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm electively working towards that anyway. So well, I'm sure it'll be something that somebody like the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney they always have uh, have incredible events like that. Mm. Uh, maybe we should do some talking and see what we can come up with. Perhaps. 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 Yes. Well, thank you very much for meeting me today. I'm so happy to see you, like I said, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you.